My name is Will Burns. This is the IT Superheroes Podcast presented by the Hill Country Tech Guys. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining the IT Superhero Podcast presented by Hill Country Tech Guys. Today we have Dr. Jeremy Roffler of Texas State. Uh, thank you for joining today. Uh, I, I really appreciate it, especially with it being last minute and w- w- with all the current events going on, uh, y- you coming in on the, the uh, next day was uh, was huge. So thank you so much. Um, uh, why don't you give us a little bit of background on on who you are and I guess where you got to, or I guess how you got to be at, at Texas State. So so I've been at, I've been at Texas State University since 2015. Um, I've worked in I've worked in higher education. I've taught in higher education since as far back as 2001. Um, I finished my doctorate at the University of Washington in 2007. Um, I've, I've been in a few different places, but most recently at Texas State. Um, my main my main position with them is in the inter- interdisciplinary general studies degree program under the uh, under under the rubric of University College. But I also teach for the Department of History. Uh, I also teach part time as a, an adjunct professor of history and political science for Sol Ross State University. Oh, and, really? Yeah, yeah okay. I, teach, I teach I teach a couple classes for them routinely online. First semester, I've I've taught Russian history, including the 1917 to present narrative, twice for Texas State. I've I've also taught the pre 1917 narrative. Uh, the first time I taught Russian history at the university level was all the way back in 2004 when I was still at my home institution at the University of Washington. I've taught it continuously more or less since and and i just found out today literally within the last half hour talk about impeccable timing that i'll be teaching it again this this summer session the the post-1917 narrative nice yeah so so it's um my my specialties are in german history russian history central eastern european history i've got background in the history of philosophy and the history of ideas um, history of nationalism and national identity That's and ethnicity, cool. um, but but I but I also I also teach political science, um, and I, I've also taught in the past. I've also taught U.S. history, both halves of the U.S. history narrative. Um, right now, for the Department of History, I'm teaching the Western Civilization Narrative and the World Civilization Narrative. I was, I was, we were supposed to be talking about Latin America at eight o'clock this morning, but they they didn't want to talk about that. They wanted to talk about this. So yeah. this this will this will be my second go around in the last okay, two good. hours. Well, I, yeah, you, I I guess you're nice and warmed up. Uh, uh, I hope so. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it sounds like your background you you. You've learned a lot, you know a lot, and especially with your background in, in, in political science as well, I think makes you someone who's, who is, I guess, who, who can really discuss this subject and, uh, and, and I guess maybe not a positive way, cause I'm not sure how much positive there is to it, but in a knowledgeable way. So, uh, I, I guess let's jump into it. What do you, or I guess, how do, how do we get to the spot that we are now with Ukraine and Russia? Uh, well, I, I, I think I think the, the question that was was presented is what's driving the conflict, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I've, I've had a couple days to think about that. You know, I mean, the, th- the thing with historians is we don't we don't like to draw conclusions and mm-hmm. definitive conclusions mm-hmm. until we have all the evidence. And that that probably won't be available for for a number of years. Yeah. Um, so what I, what I would basically be able to say today is is educated speculation. 
But if you're, I mean, if you're asking me right now, based on what I've, I've seen over the past weeks and even months, because I think this, this appeared on, on people who are paying attention, it appeared on their radar probably late last year when, uh, when, when Russia started amassing forces on Ukraine's border. They'd, they'd done it before, but never to this extent. Mm. Um, but if you're asking me, probably the single biggest catalyst dr- driving what's happening at the moment. My answer, and this may be reducing things almost to the point of reducing them too far, but um, in my mind, the thing that's driving it is Vladimir Vladimirovich Putin. I mean, it's it's as has been said, it's it's his war. Um, I think that the, the reasons for it are entirely of his fabrication. Um, I, I think this is this has been building for a long time. Um, probably at least in, since as far back as 2014, mm. when the Ukrainian people threw out his guy, who was Yanukovych, um, when they when they wanted to move in a in a, in a more kind of pro Western direction, um, when they wanted to, you know they wanted to do things like democratize their politics, privatize their economy, get on the road to EU European Union membership at some point down the, the line. Um, they also started talking about NATO membership. But from that point forward, I, I, I think then Putin's priority is, has been to try to reverse this through various measures. And it, and it, and it, and it, I think it got to the point where when other things weren't working, he, he decided to resort to force. I think that's, that's where we are now. Yeah, it seems like a over, not overstretched, but but a bridge too far type of deal. It seems like Ukraine was relenting, uh, at least verbally, that they didn't require membership to NATO. And it seemed like Ukraine was really trying to work with Russia to prevent any kind of invasion. And I guess I was surprised that the invasion has been as big and and, and, and as far-reaching as it has been since, I mean, they've essentially got Ukraine encircled and they're, they're attacking from, from every position. Um, like, so I'm trying to figure out, like, so what's next, I guess? Uh, uh, where do you see this potentially going? I guess from history's perspective, I, I, I know that you can't predict the future, mm-hmm. but like, what do you think is on the horizon? In in Ukraine, his goal is regime change. Mm. He's gonna he's gonna get rid of the people that are that are in charge now, and replace them with with his own people. Um, I you know I think Ukraine will still be on the map when this is over if he gets what he wants, but the personnel will be the personnel that he approves. Um, I think that if he gets what he wants, the Russian military presence in in Ukraine will be permanent. Um, I don't know if he would go so far as to absorb Ukraine into Russian territory. I think that the territorial unit will remain, but it'll it'll be a, a Ukraine that's constituted internally uh, according to according to his his choosing. As as far as is how it, it got to this point, you know, I I think he he tried a series of, of steps. Um, I think early in this, he was maybe trying to provoke the West into, into a kind of Munich moment, if you know the analogy, back in 38, when the West 
acquiesce to, to Hitler's territorial demands in Czechoslovakia, mm. even though the Czechs were never asked, um, you know, had to, had to give up territory and, and, and just a few months later, their entire country. I think he thought he, he could potentially provoke that. He also tried to intimidate the Ukrainians, um, into maybe making concessions. And what they, what they told him is, look, we'll talk. But we are a sovereign state. We've been mm -hmm. a sovereign state for 30 years. And we make our own decisions as far as our internal constitution is concerned, in terms of how we run our country, in terms of which alliances and allies we pick. The reasons for Ukraine wanting to be in NATO are, are, are entirely understandable and, and self-explanatory. If you know, if you know why other Eastern European countries have joined NATO, whether it be the Baltic republics, Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania, Poland, Hungary, Czech Republic, Slovakia, all of these countries in the last century have been victimized by Russia in some way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in 1991, the Soviet Union dissolved and already they, they had gone in their, in their own direction as far back as 89. But I, I, I think they were, they weren't taking anything for granted. I, mm -hmm. I think they, they figured eventually the direction of Russian politics would change into a more authoritarian direction and probably a more, uh, aggressive dimension. I mean, it, it, some of that was even, even, even evident in the last years of Boris Yeltsin's presidency. And, and, and it's easy to forget now, but Putin was originally appointed by Yeltsin. And, no way. And, and okay. Yeltsin knew exactly what he was and what he was getting and what he was doing when he did it. Hmm. Um, so, you know, if you talk about, if you talk about a country that has a list of grievances, against Russia in the 20th century, in spite of all the, you know, the cultural continuity and, you know, in some ways, Ukrainian and, and Russian culture, they're almost like a double helix in terms of mm -hmm. how close they are. But when you talk about a list of grievances, the Ukrainians have a long one going all the way back to the Russian Civil War, Stalin, you know, some things that happened in World War II subsequently. Um, and then, and then most recently with the Russian annexation of Crimea mm -hmm. in 2014 and their, in their instigation of this insurgency in Donbass, which is, you know, which was really a, a Russian creation. Um, that's, that's when the Ukrainians really started to push for NATO. There had been a, uh, an agreement as far back as 2008 that it would be considered. But once that push started in 2014, it was the Ukrainians that pushed for it. The hesitation actually came from NATO, not, not Ukraine. Um, so it's, it's, it's hard to, to really fault them for, for wanting to be part of NATO. Um, I, I think they see it as a, as a sanctuary as it, as, as it has become for um, a lot of other post, post Soviet states you know whether whether it be the states of the former warsaw pact or or whether it be the three baltic republics who had been it for a good part of their history part of the soviet union itself mm -hmm. so i guess one thing that um I, that i wasn't aware of is toward uh, you said toward the end of boris yeltsin's what is is it presidency mm -hmm. uh, he he served as president from 1991 which was the well actually he was he was elected president of the Russian Federation when it was still part of the Soviet Union when the Soviet Union dissolved in 1991 the Russian Federation then became an independent country yeltsin was its president and he served as its president until approximately the year 2000 which is which is when he stepped down and, and nominated 
Putin to replace him. Putin has subsequently run for president in his own right. He's been elected by by wide margins, typically sometimes suspiciously wide margins. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, but he, but he, he originally came to the presidency through Yeltsin's appointment. Gotcha. And uh, you said that towards the end of Yeltsin's presidency, that he was moving in a more, I guess. I guess he was wanting to pivot to a more authoritarian type of rule or he he had been he had been on on very good terms with the west through most of his presidency and then and then in his last couple of years I think he moved you know Russia Russia is always kind of you know I don't want to make rely on generalizations mm. but Russia has always kind of had two different kinds of pull factors one is towards the west one is a more kind of uniquely Russian perspective, mm-hmm. and I, and I think Putin in his last, or excuse me, Yeltsin in his last years, had been pivoting toward a kind of more Russian orientation as opposed to a, a Western orientation. Gotcha. So he hand selected Putin because he knew what Putin kind of, or at least had a good idea of who Putin was and his thoughts on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, well, something else I find interesting is that Putin has stated multiple times, and I, I might be getting this wrong, uh, mm-hmm. but I, I, and and definitely let me know if I am. But he stated that the USSR and, and, and the fall of, of of the USSR was one of the greatest travesties in mankind, um, and that he I don't know if he said this, but he wants to restore Russia to its greatness. In, in in his words, that the the uh, Soviet Union used to be, yeah. So I guess it, Ukraine is part of that process, and and also what what doesn't make sense is using this much military force to just switch the the uh, leaders out. The 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 goal the goal isn't just regime change; it's mm. also punishment. Mm. And and I know that's 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 hard to for us i think to really understand mm-hmm. um if if you listen to his speech on monday which was an hour long speech um i i would advise people to listen to it in russian even if you don't know a word of russian mm-hmm. you know just listen to it and watch his mannerisms when you see the anger the contempt um, it's almost like it's almost like a parent that had been disobeyed and betrayed by his own child. Mm. Um, you know the you know the words Ukrainitz and Ukrainka to describe somebody from Ukraine didn't come into common usage in the Russian language till about the 20th century. Before then, the Russian word for somebody from this part of the world was Malorasia, which means little Russian. Hmm. Um, and, and so it's, it's almost like he's treating him like they're his kids who have disobeyed him. And so the, the purpose is not just regime change. It's, it's also discipline and punish. Um, and he's not just doing it for their sake. I think he's doing it for the, for the benefit of the entire world. Um, in his in his second speech, you know, when he when he basically warned the West, don't you dare try to intervene. I mean, he you know he literally used a thinly veiled reference to Russia's nuclear yeah, capacity. Yeah, that's what I got from it. It, it was all it was almost like you know a parent in a playground beating his kids and a kid in front of other parents, and you know, they're like, "What are you doing?" And he's saying. 
don't you dare tell me how to discipline my kids. I mean, it's, I, I know that, that, that sounds maybe a bit extreme, but that, that's almost, I think, his mentality in, in this. He's, he's, if this invasion does succeed, there, there is, you know, I, I think our, our government's intelligence is, is right that he fully intends, uh, what would otherwise be considered human rights abuses and atrocities, particularly concerning Ukraine's leadership. And, and the only thing, you know, that I can see that Ukraine's current president, uh, uh, Yelinsky, the only thing he's done wrong is to have been popularly elected by his own people. Mm. Um, you know, and, and, and for, for uh, Putin, that's just, that's not acceptable. If you look at most of the other post-Soviet states and the way they've evolved, um, since 1991, um, they, they're almost like mirror images of, of Russia. They're, they're all oligarchies. They're all kleptocracies. Really? They're mm -hmm. all, they all, they've all got little Putins in charge, you know, people oh. like him. You know, what was completely missed in January is, is that a, a small, uh, a small unit of the Russian army went to Kazakhstan because there was a threat of a rebellion there against the leadership there. They went to Kazakhstan with orders to shoot to kill and they did. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Kazakhstan. Mm -hmm. I do remember, and there there was violent protests, right? Yeah, yeah. And 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 Ukraine has been the one outlier in all of this. It has, it has, it has not stayed. The the, the Russians call the the former Soviet states the near abroad meaning it's almost like their sphere of influence. Yeah. And the Ukrainians have been, you know, unlike the Central Asian republics, most of them anyway, unlike Belarus, um, you know, unlike unlike some of the states in the Caucasus, Ukraine has, has tried to follow its own path. It's been the one outlier in all of it. And so this, I think this is his way of, of punishing them but also sending a message to anybody else who who might who, who might try to break away and, and chart their own path. I know, you know, I mean, you, you look at it from the standpoint of rationality and and what responsible statesmen are, are supposed to how they're supposed to behave. I think even Ukrainians themselves didn't want to believe it, right? You know, yeah. after the last minute, they're they're like, "There's no way he's going to do this. There's just no way." Um, but he did. I mean, I, I was, I was just talking to, to a longtime friend and, and colleague in another part of the world just this morning. And he, and he said, this all just seems so retrograde. Mm. And I said, well, yeah, but it's, it's happening. <laughs> uh, it is retrograde, but it's happening. Yeah. And it's crazy just because it's going to be, I mean, obviously the upfront cost of having, what is it, like 120,000 troops invade? I'm sure that's billions of dollars mm -hmm. out of Russian pockets. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, I mean, I, Europe, the U.S., the West in general is just going to almost force, well, Russia is choosing to be a, a, a pariah state almost. And it seems like they're going to lose out economically. They're going to lose out militarily. That this short-term gain, if you can call it that, is going to result in a ton of long-term drama and 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 maybe potential upheaval, because and and also my understanding is that in Russia, while they do have somewhat of of a middle class, that it is mostly an oligarchy, mm -hmm. and that there are lots of people who have little to nothing, and that mm -hmm. there's a good 
portion of the population that doesn't even have running water or electricity. The, the, the structural inequalities in, in, in Russian society are still profound. Um, some of the richest people on the planet are, are Russian. Mm. Um, you know, Russia does have a, a middle class, especially a young middle class, an mm -hmm. educated middle class, people who work in the technical professions, the service professions, that that sort of thing. Um, but but you, you're absolutely right. Uh, the, the majority of Russians still live in 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 I would say very marginal economic circumstances. And, and part of the reason for that is is while the Russian economy has has grown over the years, it hasn't really developed. And it, it is still an economy that is very much driven by energy mm. rather than rather than manufacturing, rather than the services, rather than the sorts of things that privatized market Western economies do. Um, probably the most flattering thing you could say about the Russian economy is you could describe it as state capitalist. That is a, uh, an economy with, with very concentrated industries and in, in certain sectors, particularly energy that, that distribute a lot of wealth, but it's wealth that's monopolized by a few. Some other Russians have benefited from it, but, but that's, that's really it is as far as is where its current economic status is and and that and that that corresponds to its authoritarian form of government um, authoritarian governments are usually there to to kind of complement and correspond the kind of economic structure that that the russian economy currently has and that and that most post-soviet states have and and that was ukraine up until up until recently, it had an oligarchy, a kleptocracy, a pro Kremlin leadership, but it but its its people decided to move into another direction, and and I think it it has had to do with the fact they wanted the prosperity that the West has. You know, mm -hmm. the, the the thing that gets completely forgotten about what killed the Soviets it it wasn't really their authoritarian government; it was the economy mm -hmm. that that kill them okay you know and 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 that that still is a threat to that that form of government is that is that people will want more than the corresponding socioeconomic structure is able to to offer them yeah and it seems like this invasion puts russia in, in a weak spot if there's no one to buy the natural gas or oil then i mean where are they going to generate Cash from I, to take I, care. I, I, I wish I wish that were true. the The problem is the market for that is an international market, mm. and and driving up the price of, of oil and natural gas actually plays into his hands. Really, this, oh, this that makes you sense. know this is this is the reason okay. the economy has been so weak over over so many years. the 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 Russian economy grew during the early two thousands when the price of of oil and gas was high. When it started, when it started to bottom out, that's when that's when Russian economic growth stopped, and that also, coincidentally enough, not coincidentally enough, is when Putin started to become more aggressive in his in his foreign policy in Georgia in two thousand and eight, and then and then in Ukraine subsequently. So, you know, he he will find people to buy his his products, mm -hmm. um, and and they'll be paying more now than the current market price and so that you know that that as as perverse as it sounds that that's actually that's actually been a good thing for him Golly. yeah yeah i was hoping i guess i just didn't know enough but i was hoping that 
that would cause a lull in their economy and create an, an environment for which people might want to change leadership. But if if it's going to create more money, it's going to create more stability. I, I well, I don't know. I don't know about don't know. that. Oh, yeah, okay. about, about about as far as his own stability is concerned. Um, you know, you, you have to be careful in, in generalizing in history too much. Mm -hmm. But in the past, people like Putin, you know, authoritarian leaders like him, there's usually sort of a, a kind of a, I, I guess I would call a honeymoon period. Mm -hmm. um, always, you know, he's restored order. He's, he's showed up the West. He's brought economic stability. But I think part of the reasons why he's gotten more aggressive over the previous years is, is the luster for that is, mm. has, has probably in some ways worn thin. That's, that's, that's happened with, with authoritarian leaders in the past. Um, you know, there's only so much you can do internally to mobilize that kind of consent. And then, and then you've got basically two choices. You can either, you can either single out people at home, you can find people to pick on at home, or you can become more aggressive in foreign policy. And I think over the last years, he's done a, a bit of both in terms mm -hmm. of cracking down on dissent more aggressively than he has in the past, but but also this this increasingly escalated foreign policy posture. That that I mean, if you're looking for signs of weakness. I would say that may be the indication that, that he's, that he's concerned about, about things at home. Just the way he treated his own security council the other days where he was making fun of them and berating them and bullying them and, and. Was this on camera? Oh yeah. Oh, wow. oh yeah. He had his, he had his, he had his national security council all right there in front of him. Um, one of, one of, one of his, I think, he, I think he was the head of his intelligence tried to say, well, yeah, when 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 he when he when he recognized the independence of these two breakaway republics, Donetsk and um, Luhansk, he he his his, his security the head of, the head of his intelligence said, you know, yes, Mr. President, I I I, I agree with their absorption into Russia, and and Putin said that's not what we're talking about here. <laughs> you know, it was a total misspeak, and then and then so he kind of stumbled on his words, and Putin actually said, speak clearly. Um, tell me what you really think, and it's like, man, who, who, who talks to his own people like that on camera, in front, not just a national audience, but a, an international audience. Man, uh, yeah. yeah. So, do do uh, you think that they kind of played, the, or, or or rather, showed their hand there on, I guess, wanting to absorb those two breakaway states from Ukraine? I mean, I mean, I mean, legally, legally, he said he 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 recognized them as independent republics. I don't mm -hmm. think anybody buys that. Yeah. Um, the the idea the idea is to absorb them into Russia, or or if he you know if if he does if he does succeed in the invasion and he does conquer Ukraine, then it becomes kind of a moot point. Mm -hmm. which, which side of the boundary they're on, the Ukrainian boundary or the Russian boundary? Um, the word that the word that I've I've heard being used between Belarus and Russia, which is telling, is is sometimes they refer to it now as the Union State. Hmm. And and you know in in the future maybe maybe Ukraine will will fall under that rubric too. I hope not. Yeah. Um, I think I think most just about everybody is pulling for them at, at this point. So I'd, I'd hate to see that to be the outcome. But if that's the outcome, then then where these little breakaway regions go, I guess it doesn't really matter.
Yeah, and, and in my head, kind of what I thought about was that if he recognized them as independent states, they could, I guess, create their own governments and then allow and then and then vote to be annexed by Russia. Well, that, that's that's how he pulled off Crimea. Oh, okay. So that gotcha. that that was the pattern. Um, was was the Russian military moved in the little green men they were called because they they took the insignia off their uniforms, but what? everybody everybody I knew. That remember that? They, they, yeah, this was 2014, and the military moved in, but they but Putin tried to say they weren't really his, but everybody knew they were his. So they they moved in, they they kicked the Ukrainian military out. They then put it to a vote, and then the Crimean Peninsula did willingly vote to to join the the Russian Federation mm. but there was no legality to that other than other than a kind of surface legality but but I think you're absolutely right that could have that could have been the intent with these other two these other two regions yeah yeah i mean and, and in my head i just i keep going back to the fact that it's a full scale invasion mm-hmm. to to, mm-hmm. to to overthrow the, the current regime and 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 but I guess, like you said, it, it seems like it's, it's a pretty good example, or of like a kid or a parents beating their kids in front of the a, a, a community. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, so- it, he he has used language that is in the Russian language that is the language of assault. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, at one point, I think he he quoted a, a kind of a well-known Russian saying, "Like it or don't like it, but you're going to get it, so you might as well like it." Huh. Uh, you know, and, uh-huh. and so get what you get. You don't throw a fit. That type of well, that that that's 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 the dinner table, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I hope you don't beat your kids because they don't they don't eat their greens, right. right? Which I think is what's happening here. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, there's there's a violence to it and a ferocity to it that I think people are still they're conceptually I think they're still trying to catch up to it. It's mm-hmm. it's it's really hard to that 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 speech he gave on Monday was probably the most disturbing speech I've I've read since any time really that that a statesman of a great power would give since any time since world war ii wow and and this is the single largest military deployment in europe since world war ii yeah that's what it seems like and Mm -hmm. speaking of europe um my understanding is that most of the nato nations don't really have much of a military force do you see them starting to build a a larger force just across europe and and uh, Central Europe, it's going to be hard for them mm-hmm. if they make that decision. Um, they 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 are, economies in a lot of these places haven't really grown much recently. Um, significant portions of their budget go to the social welfare. Mm. Um, most European states have much more elaborate and extensive social welfare outlays than we do, um, and so for them to build their militaries would be very expensive. Hmm. The other challenge a lot of these countries face moving forward is they don't have a lot in the way of young populations. There are a lot of a lot of European countries have entered what's called a demographic crisis where you've got older people who are past military service age 
consisting of an increasingly large part of the population. Now, most of these countries do have mandatory military service. Um, unlike, unlike the United States, most European countries, after you graduate their equivalent of high school, you do serve in the military for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but even then and there, the, the size of their armies is not very big. Technically, they are very capable. Um, but if they, if they were to try to increase, significantly increase their military outlays, I think that would be a real challenge for most of them. There's, you know, there's also the cultural factor. I mean, you take a country like Germany that has the largest economy in Europe and, you know, has potentially the largest military potential in Europe, but, um, you know, they've, they've got the burden of their history to, to deal with. I, I know this mm. has got to be incredibly awkward for them. I mean, they got, they got ridiculed a few weeks back when the Ukrainians were practically begging for anybody to send them weapons. And the only thing the Germans would send were helmets, you know, 5,000 helmets. And, and, you know, the Germans, you know, the German government gave this, this sort of well-reasoned argument. You know, we don't want to provoke the Russians. We don't want to, add you know add fuel to the fire we don't want to kind of turn putin's warnings about the west into a self-fulfilling prophecy i mean th those were their official reasons but i think you know if you know the germans and their history in this part of the world you know when when the, when the german army invaded the soviet union starting in june 23rd 1941 to be exact Ukraine was the first place the german army rolled through oh really and 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 the damage was just devastating um and so and so there's there, there's there's more to it than just the logistics of, of of trying to rebuild militaries there's there's also in some ways you know especially for the germans who, who are the, potentially the most natural leaders in all of this mm -hmm. in europe but they I mean, they've got the burden of their history with which to contend right we um yeah so let's Talk about that a little bit, mm -hmm. uh, or at, at, at least the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. uh, so we've actually, one of the folks who work here, mm -hmm. he grew up in Germany. Mm -hmm. And he actually, when he was a kid, got to chip away a chunk of, of, of mm -hmm. the wall when it fell. I got a chunk. Oh, you do? I do, yeah. Oh, do. very cool. Yeah, so One of my students gave it to me a long uh, time ago. Yeah. No way. But I, but, I was, but I was in Europe in 1989. Really? I, was, I just graduated high school. Um, I, I, didn't, I didn't go to Berlin because Berlin was still East and West Berlin. It was mm -hmm. still surrounded by East Germany. But I, I remember I was, I was this 18-year-old kid, you know, high school graduate. I was in Paris. I was uh, I was sitting on the Champs Elysees, you know, the main the main thoroughfare in Paris. So I was eating lunch and and thought all that was pretty cool. And there were Soviet flags hanging from you know the hammer and sickle, the red flag with the hammer and sickle hanging from hanging from the light poles, you know, in downtown Paris. And and it was because Gorbachev was was in town. He was making a state visit. It was it was right before Bastille Day. Gorbachev was there and. You know, if you'd asked me then, I mean, I thought I was a pretty well-informed guy. I was about to start college. Mm -hmm. um, if you'd asked me by the end of that year that all of Eastern Europe would have break, broken away, that two years later that flag that I saw would, would be officially retired as a flag, I'd have never believed it. Wow. I mean, I don't think anybody would have. No, yeah, definitely not. That's uh, Yeah, that's pretty incredible. 
So the, so your 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 coworker who chipped away at the wall. He, yeah, I mean, yeah. and th- that was that was something that was I I had no idea. Um, and then because in general, well, personally, he doesn't speak too much on his past, mm-hmm. but the fact that he gave that one to me was 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 really interesting. And he said he doesn't remember a ton, but he said he said he does remember like getting. A, a, a hammer or a tool mm-hmm. and chipping away at it. And I guess at the time he wasn't aware that it had just fallen. Um, he, he thought that it had been there a while, but my guess is that that wall wasn't there long at all. I, I mean, well, I mean, after, after it 19, fell. 1951. So, oh, I mean, oh. so like in 1989, when it went down, I remember seeing, or I guess watching the news and then there's there's that iconic photograph of the guy like standing in front of the wall with like a hammer and mm-hmm. a chisel. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, like I said, I, I imagine the remnants of that wall were removed pretty quick as everybody do you, was getting do, rid of it. Do you do you want to hear two of my stories about that? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. So you know, the first the first time I went to Berlin was in 1992. And and there, there were there were still segments of the wall. Oh, really? They were, they were already they were already so you know the wall went ran right through the central yeah. governing district of Berlin, you know. So they, the the the, the German government had just relocated the capital back to Berlin from Bonn. Um, they were already starting the construction that would change the face of the center of the city. But but there there were still segments of the wall remaining. Mm. Um, two of the things so two of the things that I remember from that trip. Um, I, I didn't have a lot of money in that trip. I was basically doing Europe on a shoestring. You know, <laughs> I was, I had a rail pass. I had a, I had a pocket full of travelers checks. That's about it. I was, I was taking a lot of night trains. I would take a night train. The train would pull into the station in the morning and, you know, I would check things out and then get on a night train. A couple of times I slept in, in train stations. In, oh, in, in, wow. In, in, in Berlin, I, in Berlin, I did stay in a youth hostel. I, I, I did a, okay. a nice youth hostel. Uh-huh. Um, but, um, I remember when I was taking the night train and the first time the night train crossed over into what had been East Germany, I could see flatbed rail cars. Um, going in the other direction and sitting on those flatbed rail cars were nothing but T-72 Soviet tanks being, being shipped back to, to, to Russia. They oh, were, so it did they, take time they, to. Did, yeah, it took time to clear all that out. And then, um, where the Brandenburg Gate is. So the, the wall ran right in front of the Brandenburg Gate, which is this iconic German monument. Um, there were, there were former members of the Red Army hawking watches, coins, you know, helmets. I, I still have a helmet that I, that I bought. Really? There. My, my 14 year old son loves. Oh, um, that's I've cool. I still, I still, well, it's cool. Sure. But this image mm-hmm. of former Red Army mm. officers. Well, not officers. I'm sure they weren't officers. They were probably enlisted men, but former former members of the Red Army hawking stuff just to make money. 
there was a kind of a humiliation. In yeah, that. for it, sure. It was almost it was almost like a metaphorical end zone dance, you know. And and people in that part of the world have much longer memories than than we do. And you know, if you asked why why Russia started to turn to an even more you know to an authoritarian kind of more Russia direction, even under Yeltsin, I, I think part of that sort of explains it. There was a lot of a lot of celebration. Oh, in the, from the, in the West. Western world, it kind of mm. lot, kind of lot of self back, back, you know, slapping. Oh, we, we whooped them, um, we, we beat them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There, there was this, there was this book written by a, an otherwise very smart scholar by the name of Francis Fukuyama, who worked at the Rand Institute, called "The End of History," which was supposed to be this celebration of Western values and free market mm. economics, and it, 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 it got to be a bit much. I have to. I have to say, I'm not. I'm not saying that what's happening now is justified. Yeah. By any stretch of the imagination, um, violating a, a sovereign country in this way is, is is never acceptable. But if you can understand why some Russians might have felt the way they did at certain points, that's that's why I told. Yeah. The, that's why I told the story. You know, uh-huh. it's. It's uh, it, for them. It, it was. I don't. You know, when when Putin talks about. When he tries to say the collapse of the Soviet Union was one of history's great tragedies, you know, I, I think I think you know he has to say that with a degree of, of caution mm-hmm. because memories of the Soviet period were not always good. Um, but the other thing too is in that last speech on Monday, he badmouthed both Lenin and Stalin, which was really interesting. Yeah, one of his arguments, which is which is inaccurate almost to the point of, of being funny, <laughs> is he tried to say that Ukraine was Lenin's creation. That before hmm. before before Lenin reorganized the territory of what had been what had been the, the Russian Empire, mm-hmm. okay, when he was reorganizing that into the Soviet Union. That he created Ukraine, and and in terms of a Ukrainian territorial unit, yes, that's true. In terms of a Ukrainian identity, absolutely not. There there was no truth to that whatsoever. But that's you know there there had been a Ukrainian identity that was that was considerably older than that. Um, it had just never corresponded to a territory mm-hmm. because under the Russian Empire, the Russian Empire wasn't organized that way. It didn't. It, most of its territorial units were organized without reference to ethnicity or language. Um, the Soviet Union was was different in that respect. Mm-hmm. It, it's its territorial units, it's it's what were called Soviet Socialist Republics, in a lot of cases were organized on that basis. And so in that sense Putin was right. But to say that Lenin created Ukraine is is nothing more than than fiction, but that was his argument. And the, the bad mouth Lenin, mm-hmm. um, there's there's risk there's risk in that, um, knowing that older Russians might feel different. I don't I don't know how they would have felt about that. It's hard to say. Yeah, so that's interesting. I wasn't aware that the USSR, I guess, created essentially states within the country itself, and that those states were based on ethnicity and culture. In part, yeah, yeah. There was a there was a Ukrainian Soviet Socialist Republic. There was a Belarusian. Um, a lot of a lot of people kind of questioned that. Well, you know, are Belarusians even even their own people? And I think it was Stalin. You know, under the Bolsheviks, Stalin had actually been their 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 expert on nationality. That's why he was brought into the Politburo. He, huh. was, he you know, and and Stalin said. 
well, look, I don't know what they're speaking over there, but it's not Russian. You know, that was that was Stalin's quote. So there was a there was a Belarusian Soviet Socialist Republic. Um, there were there were socialist republics in the Caucasus, um, Central Asia, um, eventually. Um, in, in 1939, when the Baltic republics were absorbed, they became their own so socialist republics. Um, they didn't they didn't have a lot of autonomy, mm -hmm. except in things like culture and, and language. I mean, obviously, they couldn't determine their own foreign policy. They couldn't determine their own economies. Um, but but local languages were were encouraged in some ways. Is a, is a way of sort of consolidating support, mm -hmm. and and when the Soviet Union dissolved, it was on the basis of ethnicity. These these are the republics that then broke away. Ukraine broke away. The Baltic republics were the first. Um, even Belarus is you know as closely tied to Russia as it is in so many ways. The Central Asian republics: Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan. Uh, Turkmenistan, Tajikistan, you know, they, those were all constituent entities of the, of the Soviet Union, um, with their own local communist parties, with their own local governing institutions. Hmm. Basically, all the infrastructure was there when they, when they wanted to, when they wanted to pull out. Um, the, the only thing that they had to give up was the Soviets, but that in 1991, that was gone anyway. Yeah. So how much, or so, so I, I guess in my head, what I'm comparing that to is how the West after World War II broke up the Middle East. They mm -hmm. didn't break it up by culture or ethnicity. It was just like these lines here, those lines there, we're good to go. Yeah, and, it's it's an interesting parallel because arguably some of these units corresponded to, to certain historical things, but, but by, by and large, no. Yeah. Okay. It, 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 when it came to, you know, things like Syria, Jordan, Iraq, um, though those lines were, were drawn by, by Western colonial authorities and mm -hmm. they, and they didn't correspond to language or history or culture. Um, you know, and, and that, that, by the way, that was a lot of the world. Mm -hmm. um, probably the most eloquent statement I've, I've heard since any of this started. In the United Nations, a delegate from Kenya um, said, look, you know, man, if, if anyone has any reason to be mad about lines being drawn in the wrong places, it's us. You know, because when, when the Western colonial powers colonized Africa, when they left, the, the nation states that emerged were creations of those boundaries. They, mm. um, people who spoke the same language, who had the same cultures, who might have even come from the same kinship networks, you know, those lines went right through everything that they were about. Um, and it's unfortunate, but it's, it's what we have. He said, look, if we try to change these lines, it would be a, it would be a disaster. It would be a catastrophe. Um, you know, sometimes you, you just have to move forward, I think is, is what he said, essentially. Well, yeah. And it, it seems from a stability standpoint, and I might be speaking ignorantly on this subject, but it seems like. It doesn't sound like it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. But the Middle East has just had a ton of issues. Africa through, throughout, or I guess post colonialism has had a lot of issues. Do you think a lot of that revolves around the fact that we forced different groups of people together 
and then chose their leader most of the time? Well, I mean, I, I mean, after after Western colonial authorities pulled out, these these countries had the right to determine their own destiny. Mm -hmm. um, but it was but it was within a framework that they didn't choose. Um, you know, I'm, I, I'm I'm by no means a Marxist, uh -huh. okay. But one of my favorite quotes from from history is a Marxist quote, which is, "Men are free to make history, but they aren't free to make history as they please." Uh meaning the decisions we make are are in some ways the choices are, are are determined for us we we can make choices but we can't make choices about the choices and and so that was that was africa's dilemma that's been the dilemma in the middle east and 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 arguably you know when i when i took my doctoral exam questions my field examination questions one of my questions was is what the russian empire did to, because the Russian Empire was a multi-ethnic empire. Mm -hmm. um, at the end, Russian speakers were only about fifty percent, maybe no sixty percent of the population. Okay. The rest, the rest were other people. And and the question was, did what they do in what became the empire was it analogous to Western colonization in other parts of the world, or was it something different? Um, you know, and and I, I made the argument it was something different. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, that said, uh, it wasn't so different that the dilemmas that these places now face aren't, aren't completely different than, than, than what other parts of the world face. In, 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 in his Monday speech, um, Putin said two essentially different things. One, the lines should have never been there in the first place mm. when it came to Ukraine you know, we tried to make the argument this isn't a separate ethnicity, this isn't a separate people, this isn't a separate history, this isn't even a separate language. So he says, you know, the lines shouldn't be there, but to the extent that the lines are there, they were drawn in the wrong place. That was that was his argument about Crimea, and and that that was his argument, you know, with with the Donbass. Is these areas are Russian? They're not. I mean, it's a funny thing. There, there's no such thing as Ukrainian, really. But to the extent that there is. These areas are Russian; they're not Ukrainian, mm. um, you know. And that that is a legacy of of not just the Soviet period, but also the Russian imperial period, in the sense that Russia was an expansionist power, a, a strongly expansionist power. Gotcha. Um, so, speaking to the Russian Empire, USSR, mm -hmm. when was the last time Ukraine had its own independence? So, I, I, I know, like Poland. Over the last thousand years, has taken many different shapes, many different forms. They've been parts of other countries or or empires, and then uh, I guess had their own independence. I've not had an, an opportunity to jump into Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Is is it similar in that way? Like the the first the first time Ukraine was a distinct entity in the modern period, mm -hmm. it was it was actually the last year of World War One. When it was carved out of the Russian Empire by the Germans, um, it was it was a German puppet state. Oh. Um, in 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 1918, when Germany lost the war, they had to vacate Ukraine um, as part of the post World War One peace settlements. Um, Ukraine was on its own briefly. Um, it suffered very badly during the Russian Civil War, when every army and faction imaginable crossed its territory. Eventually, it was absorbed into the USSR by by Ukrainian Bolsheviks. Um, so that period in its history didn't last very long. 
it next became it next became a distinct sovereign entity in 1991 when the vast majority of the Ukrainian population whether Russian speaking Ukrainian speaking both Ukrainian and Russian speaking because most Ukrainians I think speak both mm-hmm. um, it it voted to to form its own distinct entity given the the, the, the territory that that had been part of the Ukrainian Soviet Socialist Republic um, there, there was already a regional government in Kiev. I'm going to get used to saying Kiev. I want to keep calling it Kiev, but that's the Russian word. So I'm going to stop doing oh, that. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just thought it was Kiev, but it's Kiev because that's Ukrainian. Just just like Kharkiv is, is in Russian is Kharkov. Um, Lviv is, was Lvov. Um, so yeah, th- these were all Russian names. I'm mean, mm. try to get out of the habit of using them. <laughs> um, um, the one, the one name that, that hasn't changed is Odessa. Um, that that's also a Ukrainian city with a long Russian historical identity. But they voted to to form their own nation state, and and by and large, whether it's it's been in a pro-Russian direction or a pro-Western direction, they have remained Ukrainians have remained committed to it. You know, whether they're Ukrainian speaking, whether they're Russian speaking, you know, to just say, well, their their first language or their preferred language is Russian doesn't mean that they can't also be Ukrainian in their allegiance and their identity. Um, you know, just just because you speak a language of your heritage right. doesn't mean you can't be committed to the nation state in which you live. I yeah, mean, it's not it's like it. That would be like saying Canada speaks English, therefore they're a part of America, or America speaks English, therefore they're part of England. Or, or to say that if somebody, somebody in this state speaks Spanish, oh yeah, you know, I mean, does that right. mean they're 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 not fully Texan? Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. Um, you know, there's there's lots of parts of the world where people people speak the language of their heritage, but remain committed to the nation state of their citizenship. That's and, uh, and I think that's probably true for the, the vast majority of Ukrainians. Um, in the Western part of the country, people speak Ukrainian as a, as a first language. That's where Ukrainian identity has been the strongest. Um, in the center of the country, you know, where the Dnieper River runs um, right through the middle of, of Kyiv, um, most folks speak both Ukrainian and Russian. Um, in the eastern part of the country, the primary language is is, is Russian. Um, Kharkiv, you know, where the where the main thrust of the Russian attack is happening right mm. now. If if you listen to people, you know, if you listen to the interviews, people on on the national news or the international news, if, if they're speaking in a language other than English, it's usually Russian because mm-hmm. that's their that's their that's their first and primary language. But you know, if they're taking shelter in subway stations. I think that pretty much tells you they're Ukrainian, regardless of of what their language is. I mean, they're just as scared of this invasion as as anybody else is. Yeah, and uh, you know, I gotta wonder if Putin thought that maybe more the central and eastern parts of Ukraine would have welcomed, like, come on in, like we're ready, like liberate us type of deal, or if he just knew it and he's just there to punish them uh because again i just go back to and maybe i'm just thinking too reasonably like it's so expensive and they they're going to perceive a lot of backlash from the west and it seems like they're going to cut themselves off and i i i think 
you know, I have to say this with a strong degree of caution. Mm -hmm. I don't think he respects the West. I don't think he's intimidated by the West. Mm -hmm. I think he's reflective of a worldview that thinks the West's days are behind it. Um, mm. I, and, 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 this, and the scary thing about this to me is that if he's able to succeed in Ukraine, I, I can't say for sure that he won't stop going. Um, yeah. Even though, even though his next targets would be NATO states, um, I don't, I mean, you know, if you, if you, if you take seriously the things he said yeah. recently, which he has apparently acted on, so it wasn't just bluster, it wasn't just bluff. Right. Um, he wants NATO out of any former Soviet or Warsaw Pact state. That includes the Baltic republics. That's potentially Poland, Romania. Um, he, you know, he may not stop. I, I, I hope I'm wrong on that. Um, but there's really no way of, of knowing. And, and I think it's just at this point, it's a lack of, of respect. Uh, yeah. I hope that's wrong. Yeah. And, so going back to our conversation, talking about Boris Yeltsin, mm -hmm. and wasn't it in 1998 is when they started bringing more of those Eastern Bloc countries into NATO? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. do you think that played into, and also what you said about the West kind of jumping or, or dancing on, on the, uh, the, the uh, USSR's grave type of deal on it? Like it's an insult in that way that people celebrated it so much. Cause I mean, it's, it's not like the people went away. All mm -hmm. the people are mm -hmm. still there and mm -hmm. all those people who had their identity attached to being a part of this country are still there. It's just a different name. And when, when you, I guess are more jubilant than necessary, they'll view that as an insult. And do you think that? NATO bringing in some of those other countries, which I get like those countries, like you said, we're aware of like where Russia is now, but where is it going to be in 30 years? Like, do, do, do you think that the US, the USSR viewed that as encroachment on their sphere of influence? Well, I'm, I'll, I'll reiterate what I said. Um, these, these countries join NATO voluntarily. Mm hmm. And they did so for good reason. Mm -hmm. um, how it's, and I don't want to sound harsh, mm -hmm. but I'm going to sound okay. harsh. Okay, no, that's fine. Okay. Yeah. Um, Putin's feelings are irrelevant. Mm -hmm. And to the extent that Russian feelings might be the same as Putin's feelings are likewise irrelevant. Um, they, they only matter, Putin's feelings matter only insofar that he's dangerous. Mm. Not that he's right. Um, these countries had a right to join NATO. It's every sovereign's country's right yeah. to, to, you know, somebody, I heard, I heard somebody say, well, you know, what if, what if he started installing missiles in Canada or Mexico? You know, how would you feel about that? And my answer to that is why, you know, if, if the Canadians were willing to let Putin install missiles on their territory and allow them to aim at the United States, you'd have to ask why. Yeah. You know, or that's true. Or 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 if Mexico did it, okay. Well, that's that's an argument against American neocolonialism. It's right. not a justification for Putin's treatment of of Ukraine or these yeah. you know, these other Eastern European powers. They are free to join whatever alliance 
they please. I like that. And, yeah. And, and, and that's, if they don't like it, there, there had been, so Putin's been trying to say over and over again that during the negotiations over the, the, the unification of Germany in 1989, that there was this unspoken assumption that, that NATO would expand to East, to Germany, since East Germany was going to join, mm-hmm. but no further. Okay, and and I and I have to confess, I remember that as being mm-hmm. part of the discussion. He's not he's not entirely fabricating in that respect, but nothing was ever put in writing, nothing was ever was ever made part of any treaty. Um, you know, over, over time, the, the situation on the ground changed. Um, I think people in the West were were surprised at how quickly some countries like Poland and the Baltic states and and the Czech Republic and Hungary were able to transition into Western economies and Western styles of government. And and they have as much right to be in NATO as as anybody else yeah. does. They're an independent I, state. They yeah. 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 And, I mean, and I know that sounds harsh, but you know, people say, well, we haven't taken into consideration Russia's needs and their feelings. I, I, I kind of, I kind, I just feel like that—that's a non-starter. For, yeah, for me. I mean, other than from the standpoint of practicality, um, you don't. Sometimes with the bully, you don't want to provoke them, um, but you don't want the bully to just be able to dictate your mm. life either. I mean, sometimes you got to stand up to them, and 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 you know, at the risk of of making a, a kind of a loose analogy, this is a form of bullying. What he's yeah. what he's doing. I mean, it would be hard to describe it as any other way. Yeah. Hmm. Um. So, and something else that I've noticed. I guess I I don't know how I I never caught this, but Russia is a is a federation. Mm-hmm. So what is the difference between a federation and like I guess uh, Germany or the U.S. or any like a so, state. so Germany is a federal state. Oh, it is. Okay, and, and, and so are we. Oh, okay, so it, it, it's it, just in the name, and it, it, it just it just meant that in its constitution, which has changed now a lot under Putin, but it, its constitution that was originally drawn up, um, certain parts of Russia because of different ethnicity and, and historical tradition were given quite a degree of autonomy in the way that you know in the way that you know the the federal states of germany have a lot of have a lot of say over certain things like our states have a lot of say over certain things you know we've got our own governors our own elected legislatures you know sometimes our own state constitutions originally russia was constituted on a, on a similar basis that's that's all federation means but today it is really federation in name only. Mm. Um, the people in charge of these entities, they used to be locally elected. I think now they're appointed by Putin. So it's, it's now much more of a centralized state. It's, it's a federation really in name only. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I didn't know that, but that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, uh, so something else that you were talking about w- was, I guess, countries changing their economies from, a communist to a Western style. Um, I was reading, I think this morning that Ukraine is one of the top three producers as, as far as agriculture goes, mm-hmm. or at least number one in some areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, do, do, uh, or I guess, is that in large part due to them 
switching to a Western style government or have they always been just a powerhouse of it's it's, it's it used to be in in the Russian Empire it was the breadbasket mm-hmm. of the Russian Empire it was the breadbasket of the Soviet Union um, and, and the reason for that is is geography um, most of the r- northern parts of, of Russia historically were heavily forested um, they were not really suitable to to large uh, um, cereal crop agriculture mm-hmm. um, Ukraine is part of a different region of, of Eurasia called the steppe which mm. will remind you a lot of our great plains if you're ever if you're ever in Ukraine a lot of it probably look like Kansas yeah. or the or the Midwest um, from the standpoint of weather Ukraine can get pretty cold sometimes you know sometimes you know the, the polar climate will affect mm. it but it's also it also borders along the Black Sea, meaning it gets a lot of hot, humid air, a lot of moist, hot. I guess hot, humid is the same yeah, thing yeah. from from the Black Sea. It's a little little bit like this state, mm-hmm. um, and it's got very thick, productive soil. It's it's just been a natural endowment. It's it's agriculture it hasn't always been very efficient. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Russian Empire, sometimes there were famines. Yeah, you know, in spite right. of that, there were there were famines under the Soviets. In, in spite of, in spite of it, but it's it's a naturally gifted, naturally endowed region. When when agriculture is is firing on all cylinders, it is it is one of the most productive places agriculturally in the world. Wow, yeah, and let me know if I'm wrong, but during one of those famines, was it Ukraine that really felt a lot of it was like tens of millions of people who died due to the famine mm-hmm. 1930s under stalin yeah it was it was called the terror famine um because because some of it some of it was deliberate mm-hmm. um and, and and there's controversy even even among american historians or western historians about about whether about whether stalin was targeting ukrainians deliberately mm-hmm. um or whether the worst of it happened there for other reasons but wherever you wherever you stand on that on that continuum, the fact of the matter is Ukraine lost millions of people in that. It was mm. a, it was a human catastrophe, and, and to think about it happening there, knowing the agricultural potential it it, it has, it's it's almost unthinkable yeah. that, that it happened there. But it did, and it's it's part of Ukraine's historical memory. When I when I said that Ukraine has a fairly extensive list of grievances, yeah. That's that's right there up at the top. They they, they, they they in their language they even have a word for it that roughly equates to Holocaust. Wow, um, you know, so so yeah, it's it, yeah, it, it did happen. Yeah, I, yeah, and I could see why when they got the chance to vote their way out of the Soviet Union, there was I'm assuming most of the population, since millions of people died, they're like, well, my my father, my grandfather, my brother, or my sister, or maybe all of the above perished because of the poor leadership mm-hmm. and, and planning within the Soviet Union. So like, let's get out of here. Absolutely. And I, I think they're most of them, it hasn't been easy for them uh, by any stretch. Uh, their, their transition to a market economy has been very rough. Um, their politics have kind of careened between a kind of an authoritarian kind of Putin-like direction mm-hmm. and a, a more Western direction. It still has a bad problem with corruption. Um, you know, especially in its energy sector and, and, and in some of its other big industries. But I think Ukrainians, I mean, you know, 
at least this is my perception, are committed to their national state, and and they're they're committed towards moving in a in a pro Western direction. And, and I mean, I hope they get it. Yeah, you know, yeah, I, I do too. I'm, I'm, you know, I I don't I don't want to take sides. Story. Scholars are supposed to be objective; they're not supposed to do that. But it's it's hard not to pull for them. And, yeah, and for sure. I mean, and especially coming from Texas or in 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 the U.S. Like, you want people to be able to make their own decisions. Mm-hmm. I mean, whether it's here in the U.S. or if it's halfway yeah. across the world. Yeah. Um. I, I don't just ideally, or I guess our ideals kind of always point towards that. Just. Yeah. But uh, uh, I think we're 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 at an hour now, and I've got I've I've, I've, I've got to go to an interview. But sure. I really appreciate you coming on. This was a really fun discussion. Thank you. Um, and if you're down, uh, we can d- do it again. We can talk about Ukraine or Germany because that's what your 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 background is is in heavily. Um, uh, do do uh, you have any final words or thoughts or anything? I don't know. Just just thank you for having me. I'm I'm honored. Um, Likewise. Know, I, yeah. And uh, and and otherwise, that's that's it. I think we've said quite a bit. It's quite a bit to process and, and yeah. digest. And right. I, I think your viewers have enough to to <laughs> sort of ruminate on right. for the for the time being. Yes. You know, you you, you got to be careful. You don't you don't you don't do too much because uh, the human attention span is only so long. So I, I think I think what we've done is is good. Good. I, I definitely agree. Well thank you again and thanks everybody for listening. Hill Country Tech Guys offer best-in-class support and aim to provide a world-class customer experience for each and every one of our clients. We offer managed IT support, cybersecurity tools and consultation, along with the ability to handle all of your project or infrastructure needs. If you are interested in learning more, please visit our website, YouTube, or social media pages.